Good morning, Deer Gear Podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in on this beautiful Friday. It is the Friday before Christmas here. I hope everyone has uh, a lot of time slotted for family this weekend and remember what's important, guys, during the holiday season. But today, I'm joined by Dorge, and we're talking about what we should be doing as bow hunters and archers right now in December, in the postseason, to have a better season next year. I had one of the uh, more frustrating seasons that I've had for myself up until uh, two days ago. Filled my Ohio tag on a beautiful, beautiful Ohio eight-pointer. Prior to filling this tag, I talked to Dorge about all the struggles that I went through this year and what I'm going to do now to fix it so I don't have the same things happen next year. I think they say that is what the definition of insanity is, is if you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. So I'm taking matters into my hands, extreme ownership here. It's flat out just need to work harder. So here's what Dorge and I would be doing right now if we didn't have a stellar season. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Hope you guys enjoy the holiday season. And if you have a tag still left in your pocket, keep grinding it out, guys. There's still plenty of good hunting to be had. Good luck, and let's get into this podcast. All right, everyone, good morning. Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. We're back on our regularly scheduled uploads. George and I are getting ready to talk about some things that we should be doing now to have a better year in 2024. I know a lot of people are going to be talking about stuff like this, but this pertains to archery equipment and all of the above. George, how you doing? Yep. I'm doing quite okay. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. I uh so speaking of um this kind of I'm pretty excited about this. I I just signed up for my first indoor archery league. Oh, cool. Yep. So I used to do I should do that too. It was fun. Especially when my eyes are better. <laughs> it used to be better. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a, I, I, I've never done indoor archery before, ever. I've never shot mm-hmm. a piece of paper, never done any of it. I guess it's Lancaster scoring, 20 yard shots. And uh, I'm going to see if I can improve my technique. And that's the only reason I'm doing it. Well, actually, the best thing you can do is keep the more you shoot, the better you are. I mean, but people need to run, remember one critical part when you shoot paper. It's, I mean, with indoor just paper compared to a 3D, compared to live animal, the biggest problem is the actual process of shooting. Yeah, technique. Not just technique, the thinking process. Because if you say you're, you're shooting a, a, a tag and you are, or ASA or IBO, you're shooting, say, a 60-yard shot, that 12 ring or 11 ring do not kill the animal. You know that. Right. Yeah, a lot of that's not. You're... Exactly. Remember, when you shoot the animal at that distance, if you hit the 11 ring, the angle of how the broadhead goes through, it's not going to kill it. Right. But if you want to win, you need to have a different process thinking. Yeah, my, like, mm-hmm. my goal is not to necessarily uh, win the league. It's basically to improve my archery skills and to stay sharp, essentially. And I think that's something that um, a lot of bow hunters specifically don't pay enough attention to is keeping their skills sharp. The, the amount of people that you talk to, it's like, oh, it's just like riding a bike. Well, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not like riding a bike. The animal deserves more. 
Oh, I guess absolutely, and then not to mention, see, um, the, I think currently the closest on uh, learning how to shoot is indoor three D league. I think that's the best. Yeah, because yeah. at least uh, you, you got to at least play a little bit. I I mean, I got a few outdoor three D next to me. I mean, uh, across from uh, thirty nine fifty one, that's a really good sh- shoot place. They do that once uh, every other week during the summertime. It was fun. It's a long. It's is what uh, 25 to 30 targets. Yeah. Those those courses are good, are fun. I mean, I really think a lot of people enjoy tech for a reason. Total Archery Challenge for that reason, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's it gets fun. you moving around. Yeah, get to move around, go to chit chat, and then see what other people do compared to you do. Yeah. So, on that note, it's December 19th as we record this. This will air Friday. What should people be doing now? to make sure that they have a better season next year? Well, it depends on what they're going to do. Some people put their bows away. If that's the case, in my personal opinion, the OR tree process do apply. If you really, really are those people who uh, take care of your equipment, one of the few things that a lot of people used to do, which they don't do now, is to relax your bow. Uh, in today's bow, relaxing your bow is a big deal. If you don't have bow press, you can't do that. Yeah. And then with today's design, we revert them, but beyond parallel. Well, people say, well, I will relax my bow the best you could. <laughs> Don't do that if you've got a Hoya Matthew. Look at the size of your limb boats. How much can you relax it? Yeah, not much. I'll give you an idea. The, the days of the uh, uh, of the Featherlight, the limb boats are three and a half inch long. In today's lift, it's one and a quarter. Yeah. So how much do you think you can back off before you just blow your bow? <laughs> Not very far. Exactly. I mean, that's that's one of the major design differences. Though in today's bow, you technically, if you want to relax a bow, you need to take string off. Take the string completely off. And then you, the, the, the sad part is that if you do that, you can't put a bow in the bow case. Yeah, because it's going to be... Yeah, so- I mean, just like... I mean, have you ever relaxed a raven? Uh, no. I'll give you an idea. A raven, like an L20, a mentor raven, you've got about 10 inch axle to axle. Okay? You relax that sucker. You're looking at close to 28 inches. Holy crap, yeah. Where are you putting that? <laughs> yeah, now, but another question. Okay, you've got a nice boat say, to put the boat in. Now, with, with that thing over it, Rex, what do you put it in? I mean, that's a lot of things that traditional what we do, and I mean, we couldn't. So I would say, if you really want to enjoy your bow, the, the thing you say you shoot in, the number one rule I always give to anybody, if you're really serious about bow hunting or archery hunting, just before the season really starts, give yourself at least a month or two or three, especially even if you shoot crossbow, get a new string. Or in a vertical bow, shoot your bow all the way through the season regularly to get your form. Just before season, I know about a month, get your string put in, align it, you solve a lot of problems. Because, I mean, most customers come to me with three year strings. What did I say? The the knocks are never perfect because your string loop will actually in some way deform your, uh, your surfing form. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I think, um, and I mean, just think about what your bow goes through throughout the season with 
being in most people probably leave them in their trucks when it's hot outside or when it's cold outside and you have the the contraction and your string is going to stretch when the wax melts oh one thing you never do is that if your garage is hot put it back in the house and then for guys who like myself who hunt all the way to the late winter last thing you want to do is bring the bring your bow from the truck of from the truck to the garage to the house try not to do that it's with all good. the temperature change called temperature variance yeah because yeah. He, if you bring the deep winter you have say hunting in say say 10 degree what's inside your house 70 yeah then you're giving a 60 degree swing like i mean i remember what really one of my good buddy was hunting in raw say north dakota it was negative 25 <laughs> oh yeah i'm getting pictures from my trail cameras in north dakota right now um, Are you serious? Yeah, the, the the snow and wind just make you like a like a like a blur, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Let me see what the temperature says on this latest picture. I want to say when I looked at it this morning, it said negative five. Yep. Yeah. The people yep. just don't understand when you start hitting those temperatures. Yeah, the deer move a little bit slower, but in those places, oh, so the ground blind just seems like a really good idea. <laughs> Oh yeah, with a heater, <laughs> with a nice buddy heater. I agree. Yes, for me, I would just have my USB packs all over <laughs> me. <laughs> so, um, outside of the bow maintenance, um, say just let's just take my season for example. Let's just. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I want to. I'm curious what your advice to me would be. So, um, North Dakota, I hunted in the early season and bad shot placement, wounded a buck, didn't recover it. Okay. That was September 4th, October Mm -hmm. 8th. I missed the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. And then, um, from October 8th until now, December 19th, I haven't drawn my bow back on an animal yet. So how do I progress or move forward or what should I be doing now to start thinking, eliminating that? Well, this is what most other people would do. Well, it's time to get a new bow, get a new rest, get a new sight, get new arrows. It's going to be a new year, whatever is past me. If you're serious about hunting, don't do that. Get to know your equipment. See, you. most people get to know their equipment after about two seasons. Unfortunately, in today's equipment, two seasons that means maintenance. It's like, you got a diesel truck. And then after the first 50,000 miles, it's time to get a new truck. But if you really know these, though, after you put 100,000 miles on it, that cat just got break in. In some way, your, your memory, your muscle, your know-how to boat is about two seasons. So the third season is you really, really get to know your boat effortlessly. Yeah. That means you don't have to think about the equipment. You know how it's going to behave. Yeah. How the sight turns, how the rest behave, all the rest. But guess what? Most people usually buy a new boat every year. They buy in October, instantly go into the season, try to shoot a deer in December with a brand new boat, which they haven't get used to yet. That's pretty much how bad it gets. Yes, let me speak on that for a little bit. So, because that is mm-hmm. that is what happened to me um, the past two years, right? So, even going back to 2022 season, I wounded a deer in Iowa. I missed a bunch of coyotes and I told myself that I just had a bad relationship with that bow. I need to sell it and get something new. 
And mm-hmm. so I did that, right? And then the first animal I shoot at with that uh, bow in September, I wound. And then I'm just going back right through the same process. So what if you go to my hunting career or whatever you want to call it from 2017 to 2021, I shot the same bow and I killed every deer that I shot at it with. And it went for, there's two, there's multiple reasons. One, I got more comfortable with the bow, but Mm -hmm. every experience with that bow was positive. And Mm -hmm. so here's what my advice to someone in my position right now would be. It's December 19th. If your season ends January 1st, you don't have a lot of time to do this, but you could take that into next season, but just get repetitions, shoot more does. A lot of people in the scenarios that I'm in or the hunting industry, it's not cool to shoot does. You got to shoot the big buck. But if you don't have repetitions with your equipment, when that big buck comes in and that experience goes bad, your confidence levels just decline immensely. Not just that. It's not just a confidence level. It's not just shooting those. It's simply your subconsciousness, your muscle memory with that piece of equipment and yeah. the expectation and second guessing. Yep. That's the part that a lot of people do not recognize is that when you really do all those, I mean, you just like, how do I say it? You want to pick up the equipment knowing exactly how it's going to behave and it will do exactly what you do. The whole process of second guessing doesn't exist. Yep. I will give you one of the best examples. One of my very best pro staff, uh, Charlie Vaporman, he used to shoot a, uh, the old PFD performance when it first came out. He got to know the boat so well, so well. He actually become bow hunter of the year. Triple crown. And the win the IBO world with 22 points. Wow. That means he can skip the last two targets and still win. Yeah. Then he joined PSC as a semi-pro. He have to shoot a new bow every year when PSC got a new bow. He have not seen the podium once. Wow. What did that tell you? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't changed. No. But he had to adapt himself to the new bow. And the new bow is not the old bow. It's not just physical or the design of the bow. It's your muscle memory and your confidence and your subconsciousness on with the bow. Yep. Because see, this is where a lot of the people's problem is that when you get that bow, how well do you know it? Oh, this is like a second nature. I know that bow well. If you know that bow so well, what's the difference? It has some improvement, right? No. Quote, unquote, improvement. In other words, it do not behave identical to the oval. If it's identical, why are you buying it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, I remember, I remember the actually. Oh, this is the day in the hand. I've never seen a boat that quiet. After fifteen years of every new boat, you're saying the same damn thing. If every year is half, gosh, what does it feel like? Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I mean, if you're really serious in the hunting, the problem is that with the, with the especially in today's world, with the, all the newer bows, actually all the newer bows, you can't possibly tune it without owning a bow press and without uh, able to tune the bow yourself constantly. Yeah. I mean, the old days of the bow, like the Matthew Z7 or the, or the DXT and so on the bow, you have two strings, two. You have the string and the cable. 
how many string and cable you got on the uh, 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 on the new bows now? Five. Exactly. You think you're able to maintain all five that good? No. I mean, I mean, it's a lot easier to maintain. Don't get me wrong. The string, like the people, like a Vapor Trail, Joey, uh, American Best, Guest, they make fabulous string compared to what we have 10 years, 20 years ago. 10 years, I mean, those are, that's how good they are. I mean, they are technically zero, zero stretch. The moment you get the string, you put a pip side, shoot three rounds, the pip side ain't moving. You don't get that. You literally shoot 70 shots, and then we twist the quote string, we adjust to get it right. Yeah. But still, maintenance. And then get the new bow to tune. And especially if we don't do it, everything's settled. When they settle, they make time. So yes, I would say, everybody say, try your best to get the bow out at least a week or two before you do that. Well, that's where the problem is. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think the, the gist of it is to, to get to know the bow better than you think you need to. And mm-hmm. um, you'll just have a better all-around experience. And for me, right now, tonight, I'm going hunting. I'm going to try to shoot a doe or two. And um, if a buck comes out, I, he'll be in trouble too. But my What's goal... wrong with shooting a doe? I mean, the, 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 I, mean I, I personally don't shoot a really old doe because they don't taste great. Yeah, I mean, if I haven't, if I had seen a button bun or a spike in the end of the season, they taste the best, and you got the most amount of meat on the spike. Especially end of season, time to burn the tags. So that's what I would do. I yeah. still have three. I still have three tags on me. So yeah. we better get to work. I I intend to. I'm I'm going to be in uh, Southern College in downtown Chicago area next to the recycle plant hunting on Wednesday. When does uh, Illinois season go out? January 15th? Uh, no, I think it's uh, January 12th this year because of the season. And then, of course, it's gun season. It's the last call cleanup season. You've got handgun, shotgun, whatever, but you can shoot and shoot those at that moment. But at the same time, in Illinois, because of the the way the deers are behaving, a lot of bucks drop their horns. So you yeah. can see a ginormous doe. Uh, it's yep, it's those got balls. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have the same problem. So Ohio season ends this year. It's always the first weekend in February. So we can oh, hunt wow. all the way to February. But then, you know, the because of the how the global warming and all the things behaving. I mean, I got videos on on dome uh on Buck Mountain Fawns in uh in uh, in February second. That's yeah. that's uh that's two thousand and eighteen. I got a video on that. Yep. So, think about it. You remember a fawn will only go into heat when you reach a certain body weight. Yeah. If you the fawn was coming on the mount on February, when's the where's the fawn being dropped? It's going to be two hundred and ninety some days before that. Right. Then uh, when would the fawn be big enough to give in the heat? We yeah. may look at March. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, in other words, uh, this year, uh, some, some, this year I'm seeing some because we got a lot more deer coming back because of the uh, the yikshi, the blue tongue. They're all gone now, so we got a lot more fawn that was big drop coming into hit in 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 sequence. That's the reason I'm I'm expecting a rut in January. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that a lot. And then, um, so so there's with that said, there's still some good experiences to be had. So oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, the the thing is that 
if that is is that is fawn getting in the heat, the horn is not going to come off that easily. <laughs> right. Because right. when they smell that, they they they're going to go nuts. Here's one for you, George. I'm going to show you a picture. I don't know if you'll be able to see my screen. See that? Oh, that's a pretty nice one. That's this morning out in North Dakota. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah, actually, a lot of people of mine, I remember the father and son, they bought a lot of PSC Tech 15 Arrow for me. He usually buy two, three dozens for him and two, three for his son. That's what his son, and they went to the whole summer during about August. They went up there to shoot Perry dogs. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, on a $50 an arrow. Mm. <laughs> you That's remember Tech cool. 15 arrows, a Tech 15 26 inch arrow would find out in it. Those are $50 an arrow. Hey, but if you're going to have fun, go for it. I mean, I remember some customer called me, I'm doing a shoot in Texas. They call me and order $3,000 fine enough for a week for, for a shooting weekend. That's All greens. Lot. That's a lot. <laughs> So, well, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of arrows, if mm-hmm. if you've had your bow for five years, you love it, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know it, and everything's good, but say... No, 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 uh, no, no, no. I think the, 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 that was the wrong thing. You should have a bow for as long as you can, you can possibly shoot with it. What you improve on is the arrow. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. So, say the... Um, the manufacturer that has made the arrows that you shoot no longer makes them or you lost some or you broke some, what improvements can the archer make on that side? What should be, what should someone be looking for in an arrow to make their bow experience better? Well, first of all, in today's bow, it depends on what bow you have. If you have a bow after 2015, the arrow concept arrow just simply raised the bar totally. Which is which? I mean, you guys, MMT and NIS is technically hundred percent by design, so they would improve it significantly. But then, the maintenance of the arrow. Now, this is another part people don't understand. Unless you start shooting arrow weave, when you shoot a sport weave, even arrow weave will have that, but not as dramatic as sport weave or every single arrow. When you put about fifty shots through arrow, the spine will change, not spine number. Dynamic location. It is like, I will give you a, a, a basic example. If you really enjoy driving and you put something like 15, 20 miles on a brand new set of tires, and if you're one of those, not one of those, first of all, you need to retalk your lug nuts. Then you need to, about, about I would say, five to 10,000 miles you should rebalance, rotate your tires. A lot of people don't do that. But that is where the problem is. See, every time you shoot it, the arrow, in, especially when you're high level of bow, with a, with a high front of center, you're putting extreme stress on the arrow. In other words, all the carbon fiber in some form are realigning every time you shoot it. And then when you impact it, you realign again. You are relying on extreme amount of the, what the work, the resin is to keep your arrow straight to keep your arrow happening in a flex and keep the arrow bent. When you have all the above, what do you think is going to happen to the arrow? You're going to have some the changes. Arrow, exactly. So that's the reason a lot of times you, I shoot this arrow so good for the last, say, some, depends how long you shoot. I mean, if you shoot there, say, just like I will quote Rod Weiss, the Olympic gold medals, if you got an aluminum arrow, you got 72 shots out of it. 
You've got a carbon arrow. Yes, you can get 500, 1,000 shots out of it. But remember, the arrow is changing its behavior. So that's the reason when you finish shooting and all of a sudden, you, like you shot, shot enough, like 20, 30 shots, and all of a sudden the arrow don't behave right. No, the arrow is not being shot out. The arrow spine just moved. Now, of course, the lower the let off, the lower the poundage, the shorter the arrow, the less the effect. In the case of, say, a 30-inch 30, 30 guy with 70 pounds, if you shoot an arrow about 40, 50 times, after you do that, put it back on the spine. Yes, it shouldn't move for most people, but because of the arrow multi-layer construction, who is dominant layer? In the, usually, in the case, the outermost. But they will change. They actually change. But the change can be as much as 45 degrees. So what happened to your vein position, computer launch position? Yes, completely on the other side of the arrow. Yes, and yes, the uh, this is what a lot of people, they say they love the whisker biscuit for what reason? The whisker biscuits circumvent this phenomenon. Mm. Why a drop away, any prong rest or any drop of rest, you exaggerate that phenomenon. Why is that? Because, whisk, because the whisker biscuit cover the entire arrow 360 degrees. That's oh. reason the new whiskers in some angles, they do not do not behave like the old whisker. Because they do not. In other words, if your arrow flexing, say, at 8 o'clock, that's whiskers there to bounce it back. Because your arrow is not actually pushing on the bottom. That's the reason the original black whisker all the way around is the most forgiving rest, except you don't behave with the, with the veins. Yeah. The new ones with the black on the bottom and the brown on the top, sometimes your problem is more because the arrow is not even flexing on the black part, which is the heavier whisker. Yeah. So imagine all of a sudden you, you shoot a long time and the arrow move from, say, your six o'clock position on the flex, first flex point and move to, say, eight o'clock position. Well, what are you launching the arrow point off? The arrow is now flexing towards your left-hand side of your, uh, of your arrow rest now. Yeah. And then if you shoot a fixed blade with a high FOC, now it's detrimental. You won't even hit the target anymore. Yeah. Because the, the arrow catch, the training of the arrow tip catching the wind is so obvious. So would it be a good idea um, at the end of the year? I, th I think there's a few benefits to this, actually, now that I think of it. But would it be a good idea to just uh, strip your fletchings every year and then refletch? No, no need to, because then you're overdoing it. But at the same time, you need to understand, if you shoot arrow vein or any hot, any hot veins, after the full season, exposed to ultraviolet, exposed to coldness, and so on, the vein may not behave. So you should feel the vein and see whether the plastic texture is the same. If it's not, strip it. But then before, the first thing you need to do is that put your arrow on a spine machine, re-spining, to see how much off it is. Like yesterday, I got a customer send me, what that would be this whole box is right here. That is a three dozen arrow. Eight of them is so off spine, it's not even funny. That's on crossbows of 22 inch. Wow. They she shoot it for two years. See, those three of the arrow, some of the arrow just don't hit right. Why, why, why? Well, I put all of them through a spine machine. Eight of them is totally off spine. Dang. Now, those are the those are the good arrow. Those are the play ego executioners. Without yeah. the arrow concept, though. 
Aero concept will help you a bit because that portion don't move that much. Sure, sure. makes it like a shorter arrow. Right, and then the harmonics will help because you've got double layers, so that part don't twist that much. So whatever you put in, it stays reasonable. But yeah. the tail end of the entire, say, you've got a 22-inch, you put six in it, well, you still got that section that do not have the carbon in it. Yeah. So that section can do whatever that you want to do. Remember, the arrow is going to do what you do. The, in other words, the old weakest link come into play. And yes, yeah. the, when the weakest link kick in, and the weakest link is changing. That's another part people forgot. And yes, a lot of people say, oh, the new carbon arrow can't be shot out. That's a lie. I was just going to ask that. Is there a point in where it does actually get shot out? It is not the carbon. It's the resin, the resin. Of the, that bind the carbon. That will, that will be shot out. How do you That's know? You'll find out all of a sudden your arrow just no longer shoot the same spot because the spine changed. This, at that moment, the spine is no longer the spine of the first dynamic band. We're talking the arrow to resist being bent. That's the true spine number. When the true spine number of the arrow shall drop, the arrow is got shot out. Okay. I mean, in the case of aluminium, it is called the metal fatigue because you're dealing with seven series of aluminium. You bend it enough, just like you bend a piece of metal enough. Yeah, it weakens. Yep. I mean, you bend it a few times, it immediately weakens. But when you notice it, that's where the difference is. Sure. You notice it weakens enough to the point that you no longer have the characteristic you desire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good point. I think what I was thinking with refletching them, it is a lot of work, but it also gives you um, more, you're more inclined to inspect the arrow if you're taking yes. the fletchings off and making sure that that arrow is actually safe to continue to shoot. Right, but this is where the arrow vein and the arrow vein glue and all that come in. Unlike other, see, imagine that you are fletching it with the boning platinum plus or the or the gold tough and so on, and then you are fletching a helical. How much glue do you think you're putting on it? For the average, for, for the amount of glue, just put it this way: you're shooting a three degree helical on a two forty six on a blazer. How much glue you think is on that vein in order for it to stick right? Uh, well, you got to put a lot on the Q2I, so. Yep, you put about 0.8 to 1.2 grain of glue. Yeah, that's a lot of glue. And then you tip the front to make sure it didn't come off. Then you're pushing to 1.6 grain of glue. Now, this is actual numbers. Do you know how many much of glue you put on an arrow vein strict fletch on a 246 or any arrow for that matter? I don't know the number, but I'll, I'll say 0.5 grains. 0 0.03. Oh my God. <laughs> That's like no glue. Now, remember you've been fletching arrow vein when you do the MMTs and the yeah. NIS? How long did that bottle of glue last? Oh, they last a long time. For me, it's every 60 to 80 dozen of crossbow before I finish that 20 grain bottle, 20 gram bottle. Yeah. And you just remember when you fudge it, you use your Q-tip to wipe off over 50% of the glue after you put it on. Right. That's the reason I say, wait a minute. That means that bottle of glue, I only using half of it to glue. The rest I wipe away. True. Yeah. That's the reason one day, I just for the heck of it, I just find a tiny piece of carbon. I put all three, put one thing on, I try to measure it. Well, my grain scale go up to 0 0.00, my 0 0.01. Is it really 0 0.03 to 0 0.04? I say, no, let me do that a few more times. 
Yes, the average is zero point zero three. If you wipe both sides of the glue off, wow. What that a... means you are putting putting a zero point one grain of glue on an arrow vein with arrow vein glue on the no entire what size arrow. arrow on the entire arrow. While you are putting zero point eight to one up to one point six grain of glue per vein. Now, did you hear the number? Zero point six to one point six. That is a fifty percent variance per vein. Yeah. That's a lot. What um, what is the proper way or best way to actually strip veins off a carbonara? Yeah, if you're using, say, uh, if you lose a non-weave arrow, the correct way, I mean, you do not use this arrow on anything from uh, deer crossing or the obeman. This will kill the arrow or some of the carbon force. You use the stripper, you strip, you take the red arrow off. Now, this reason that anybody who clutch arrow correctly, they should have no, no less than three bottles of acetone. Because at the moment your blade touches the, the shaft, you're scratching it. So yeah. you want to cut the shaft the best you could, and then you put the arrow shaft into the acetone. The first bottle, which could do your dunk. That itself will chemically remove the acetone whether it is gold tough, whether it is even boning platinum, it will melt it. But then with the with the boning, the glue become a solvent. So mm-hmm. you need to replace the bottle often. It would actually it would actually eat the glue and then fully drop out. Say, oh my god, you're removing the shaft. No, you don't. All the new shaft that is done correctly use epoxy. They're inert to uh to acetone. Now, if a company like doing the last layer, like Carbon force with the with the carbon, yes, uh, the acetone will eat the re- eat the resin away, and then the arrow is weakened. Mm. Okay. Of course, uh, the, the the one of the better. I still using a basic uh, your utility knife. Actually, I use the larger blade of the utility knife, box cutters. Yeah. I just strip the vein as close as I can without touching the carbon, and then I'll I'll dunk the thing in, waiting for about twenty seconds, take it out. Use a paper towel, grab it, roll it once. You get majority of the surface glue out. Put it in the second time. Then the rest of the glue will dissolve. Then you pick it out and do it one more time and do it the third time. You'll find out the arrow is like brand new, like you've never been touched. Yeah. Yep. That's then, the same just remember, process. When you're dealing with an arrow vein, you've got 0.03 grain of glue. When you're dealing with that, the others, you've got 0.8 to 1.6 grain in the worst case. Yeah, your acetone is not going to last. If you look at it, 1.8 divided by 0.03 is a very big number. What is it? Uh, it's 60 times. <laughs> yeah. So that's how ridiculous it can get. So um, and- I think that, I think one thing to note too is to make sure you do the first step because like cutting it trying to cut it off because there's a few times where like say i had initially just fletched an arrow and i was like man that's not quite on the first dynamic bend i gotta strip it and move it if you try with aerogel or the um what's what's the uh fletching glue ag agl 600 yes yeah so if you try to just take something and rip it off you're more likely to rip the carbon off the arrow than to break that adhesion from the glue. 
Yeah, because it's a over six hundred and eighty pound force. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sickening. So make sure you do just try to cut it, soak it, and go that route. Yeah, actually, that's a quite a good deflection tool. The thing is that the worst thing you do is that you use too much force or use a blunt knife. Mm. A blunt knife is an uncontrollable knife. In other words, you're going to cut the carbon a lot worse than you thought. Yeah. So that covers that. That's good. Inspect that. If you have to refletch, that's the process. Um, yeah. This is not done enough. And I know there's a lot of people that talk about it in the competition world, but hunting, it, I don't ever hear anyone talk about it, is replace your damn knocks. Exactly. Oh, my God. That was... Uh... You see, when I first make the first light tonight, the first thing he said, I talked to uh, the guy from uh, the Hankers. Bayer, who make Macalon. I get to understand what does a translucent polycarbon knock, polycarbonate do? You need to understand the word, when you're dealing with translucent polycarbonate, you are dealing with a non-confirmed internal carbon structure. What does that mean? Well, wait a minute, it sounds so complicated. It is, because if it's confirmed, a conformed carbon structure, it won't be translucent. Light won't go through it. You're dealing with light molecule going through the whatever passing you have. If they are all confirmed, it'll be flock solid. How did light go through it? It can't. So it's a non-confirmed polycarbonate carbon structure. So light go through it. What does that also mean? That means if you put any crack on it, it'll behave like glass. You'll go cut right through it. You'll crack it. Now, in the case of a knock, if you're not cracked, what does that mean? Beak. Dry fire. Because you can blow your bow and miss your buck. Mm -hmm. But also non-conform translucent polycarbonate also have a few factors, too. I mean, I got a few customers call me, oh, my God, I use your fire knock. I shoot the deer. The knock blow up in front of me. I said, did you practice? I said, I practiced with that all, all throughout all summer. Did you ever touch it? No, I don't shoot groups. I said, no, it's not shooting groups. Did you put your arrow about three to five inches from each other? Because after your arrow hit the target, the tail of the arrow can whack. They can touch each other. If you hear there's anything when you hit impact that's not kosher, you replace the knife. When you, if you are one of the ASA IBO or tech guy, and you look at how Tim Gillingham shoots. Every time he shot, if the air sound remotely, he removed the knot and he replaces without thinking. Yep. And then he will put his arrow on the pin knot and spin and he spin to make sure the pin knot was not damaged. Mm -hmm. That's how often he inspected every shot. Well, the average Joe is not going to do like him. I mean, he, he he's had an obsessive compulsive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's, I mean, we don't need to go to those extremes, but at the end right. of the season, replace your knocks. I mean, it's $7 for a dozen knocks, right? No, no. Yeah. For some of them, for us, because we use uh, the pure Macaron and Virgin Flow, our fine knocks are $10 for seven. Now, okay, this is another thing. You also recognize, you need to recognize anytime the arrow touched the ground or anytime you shoot through an animal, change that freaking knock. Yep. It's the guarantee you have that it is reliable. And yes, that's another thing. A lot of people say, well, I shoot all year. It's a brand new knot. I put on a string. And then when I shot it, it breaks. That's called not taking care of the equipment. You know what? A lot of people in the early season, they grab the bow with their hand. 
Greece. Through the string next, no, not Greece. This is what a lot of people didn't recognize. To actually discover it through microscope from customer from Louisiana, they sent me a string. I say, this string is exactly what you say, 112,000. I shot knocks and then it just cracked the knock in half after the fourth shot. It got sweat crystal, oh. crystallized on the string loop. When he shot the knock the first time, the crystal of the crisp of the sweat scored the inside of the knock. Jeez. The second shot scored it. The third shot scored it. The fourth shot cracked it. Wow. We in the we in the north don't see this because we usually wear gloves when we carry our bow with our bowstring. Yeah. This reason, see people like like the bow like APA with a handle, no problem. But ninety percent of us who don't use a bow carrier, we grab the bow by the String, string. Right? yeah, yes. So when you grip the string, should you? Oh, I'm a desperate reason when I grip the string, I usually put my fingers away and not touch the string loop, go above and below the string loop because I don't want to dirty the string loop in any shape or form. Hmm. But how many people take care of care? I don't know anyone, yes. But what happened if you got mud or, or sand in your hand and then you just the step piece of sand got embedded into your survey? And when you shoot it, what do you think that piece of sand is doing to your knock? Yeah, it's going to rip it. It's going to score it. Yeah. And then when you shoot it, remember, yes, that's the reason in the original polycarbonate, they are all black, white, blue, yellow, those color, solid. Those color have, do not prong to crack. That's the reason the black, white, yellow, and blue were so often, or, or even orange, those are solid orange, they don't crack that often. So why don't I went through all? The, mm -hmm. Why don't you offer a solid knock then? Because I sell like the knocks. I don't sell any knock that's solid color. <laughs> well, and then if I do that, the density is not going to be it's not going to be the same. The weight yeah. is not going to be the same, and not to mention the behavior of the knock is not going to be the same. Because see, the moment you go from one color to the other, one from a from a, a translucent to a solid. The chemistry is different. That's the reason I actually would recommend on translucent section. No matter what color I do, the the uh, the only thing is that is the dye between the uh, the polycarbonate. That's what changes the color. The moment you change the structure of carbonate, density will increase mm -hmm. because it's structured. Right. Yep. Um, anything else, George, that people need to be doing now to make sure oh, that they're the, if they shoot light or not, the first thing they need to do is take the freaking battery out. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, if you have the ability you, to do that, right? If you right. are shooting the if fire you, knock and you, you have that shoot. advantage. You see, for me, the moment that hunting season out, I pull my knocks out. Yeah, of course, I throw the knock away. I put the circuit board, the hunting circuit board aside. I put my pocket board now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that, yeah. Um, and I'll use you, my battery for that. Hmm? Do you ever replace the end cap? No need to. See, the, you know, that's another thing. You should never need to replace the end cap, but if you shoot IBO ASA tech or you shoot a lot of 3D range with a lighter knock, okay? The end cap eventually will move loose. You know, think about it. If you shoot, say, I'll use a typical example. You shoot, let's say, Metro DXT, shooting into a foam target, something like the old block, that, knock, that, that end cap theoretically will never come off because that's not enough force. Yeah. But say you're shooting something like a scorpion, Say the LDT-165, that shoots 420 on the low end. And you shoot your crossbow right into a spider web within 20 feet when you decock it. 
that nine grain battery exceeded 300 pounds of force every time you do that. Wow. So how many 300 pounds you think you would knock loose the end cap? Yeah, I don't know, but not, not that many. Right. Okay, so 50. You said enough? You go hunting 50 times, you decock the boat at least twice? Yeah, right. Uh, every time you go. Yeah. You go in, you decock. When you come back, you decock it, right? Yeah. So that's a 50 times. 50 times 300. Well, you're asking the NCAP glue to take all this punishment and still not be loose. You think, oh, just get loose. Uh, the toothbrush can kill the best paint if you have enough reputation. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious so, about yes. that. So a lot of times what you do is that if you really enjoy using it, the maintenance inspection is technically critical. But I usually do it before the hunting season starts on the inspection side because you went through a whole summer. So if anything went wrong or you went through your 3D or your practice session, that's the reason I always have my hunting arrows after I'm inspect is perfect. I'll take the battery out. I'll put a new nut in it, put it back even if I don't use it. Remember, polycarbonate is also can be degraded by ultraviolet. Mm. You're out there, you put in your trunk, you put in the back of a car. Another thing, your veins. And vein will actually change its characteristic elasticity based on exposure to temperature variance and ultraviolet. So yeah, some of the three, four years, I got a customer send me back is 2016, Aerobot 3, which is in the back, same thing. Eight, nine of them, are, I've actually, a dozen or half them uh, come on in 2016. Wow. So yes, I have to replace their veins. The, the veins are just crispy. So yeah. if you shoot, he is from uh, north, northern New York. So just strip them, put new veins, new veins on it, and be done with it. Yeah, I mean that's not. You got seven years out of them. <laughs> well, look at look at my look, look at my old dozen of the carbon tech rhino. I got them in nineteen ninety eight. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, th those carbon tech stuffs are great. Really, they yeah. are one of the best. I mean, Rick McKinney know what he's doing, except he's inserts and knocks and things sucks. Yeah. If I had um, another piece of advice to someone listening to this now, wondering like, what can I do to make sure, like you, if you are thinking about that, you really, really care about what you're doing. You are serious, super serious about hunting and archery. Don't wait until July, August, September, October to buy new arrows. If you need new arrows, buy them now. Yeah, because you're going to practice with it. Yeah. And not to mention, this is another mistake a lot of people make. Oh, I only need, like the crossbows, I only need three arrows. So you practice with that three all summer, theoretically. You think they are kosher for hunting? No, not on a crossbow you, for sure. Remember, crossbows are a lot more power. Yeah. You're going to miss. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not practice. Just buy a couple more. Yeah. Just buy three practice and leave three for hunting. Yeah, that will be the minimum. And then in most cases, for the guy who say, "Oh, I'm buying this crossbow, I'm not, or a vertical bow, I'm not buying a new bow for the next five years," I told them, if that's the case, instead of thinking any new equipment, sit back next year, buy. When you want to think arrows, don't buy a dozen, buy two. You yeah. know why you buy two? Because then you have the whole dozen matched. You know everything from the same lot. We at Finlock tried the best to <clears throat> make sure that we green match and so on. But can we lot match it? Hell no. No, yeah. Nobody Once you run out match. of inventory of a certain shaft GPI, 
It's gone. Yeah. And then when you even when you buy from the same factory, same so <clears throat> you know, are they using the same supplier? Okay. It's a supplier supplies resin, you see, under the same temperature, under the same condition. Probably not. I mean, we tried our best to have the same identical quality. That's reason, just like wine. You buy from this vineyard, from this place, from this time, it's three year old. Some year they're better and some year they're not so good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it sounds crazy to think arrow like wines, but everything at variance. If you want to control your variance, the only way is do it the right way. And that's the only way. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I think that's something that I've noticed a lot with re, uh, we get a lot of people that'll buy a half dozen and then mm-hmm. they'll reorder a half dozen and making sure that that half dozen is within the same tolerance as the first half dozen is really challenging. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's happened where it's not going to be possible. So we have to call them and say, Hey, if you need a dozen arrows, you probably are better off buying a full dozen right now. And we're just going to, they're going to be five grains heavier and you're just going to have to recite in. Right. See, this is, a, for me, I mean, you know, when you buy an arrow bow for me, on the arrow bow itself, you have, you have the grain weight, the, the CTI, and so on, and the date, the whole deal. That's the reason why I make it. I don't make what doesn't. I go ahead and make, say, 50 doesn't. Then I grain sort them into lots. Yep. Then depends on how the customer buy. They may be in the middle, and some of them that don't, haven't bought before. I may pick a heavier lighter. depends on what bow they, they use. Yeah. And then when they call me, say, well, another, I want another dozen, just like the one you have. That's recently when you look at my list, it will say 3AB3, 30A for the insert, 6 inch for that. And then you rate 296 screen with arrowing 2 or 3, and then 2 point. Yep. Okay. What happened? I'm no more 296. I got 297, 298. It's not that bad. So what happened? The guy happened to have 305. Yeah. You're pretty far now off. What do you do? Yeah, pretty far off. And then, did you not sell him, or he don't want one because he, he say, "I'm going, I'm going to give me express. I'm going to hunt on this Saturday, and today is Wednesday." <laughs> yeah, you, you know those phone calls. Oh yeah. Oh, I decided to go hunting with my buddy. He invited me. I need the arrow yesterday, <laughs> and you better be here by Friday morning. I'm, I'm by 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 Thursday night because I'm leaving Friday morning first thing at five. I mean, you had those conversations, you sell enough arrows. <laughs> yeah, and then it's our fault that we don't oh, have yeah. the matches. Yeah, that's the reason I told people, you're asking me to give you the impossible because I can only do what I can control. I mean, when you say in, in like early, say early September, I may have all those arrows there because I am keep on building it and going in. But I was using my inserts and carbon shaft variants to do the adjustment to make to normalize what I have. But I can only do so much. Yeah. After that, I mean, that's another thing. A lot of people say, oh, I'm going to match the arrow. This arrow was four grains lighter. I'm going to add some weight to it. Okay, now, let, 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 let's let set back and ask ourselves this question. Were you adding that four grain? Yeah, it's not going to behave the same regardless of where you put it. I remember one time I was, I, my, my, one of my best old buddy out of New York, was telling he he matched his arrow down to point one grain. He said he just looked at the back of the arrow, he would dip a drop of glue to match to make sure they match point one grain. I say, wow, you're doing that wonderful. In my mind, I say, you dumb idiot. 
yes, your arrow is matched to a 0.1 grain in weight. What happened to dynamic characteristic? Yeah. You just unbalance, uncircle, and off weight the entire arrow. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's good advice. So, anyway, guys, that's, uh, that's what you should be doing now. That's what you should mm-hmm. be doing to end 2023 to improve 2024. So, well, actually, guys... on top of that, you should also take your broadhead out and your field point out. Yeah. They're different material. You got gaussing. So, if you got it, you should wipe the thing, say, with the, something, spray the broadhead down with WD 40, wrap it inside a, a wax paper or butcher paper, then put them away. Then you have a god broadhead. Of course, most of the guys in today's, they say, oh, it's a new season. I need to wipe your broadheads. The problem you do that is that you've got a whole new set of tuning problem. You buy fixed blades. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's a lot of work. And it's money. I mean, just save them. How many broadheads that you've bought have actually been shot at an animal or a target or whatever? Throw a lot of broadheads away that have never seen the target. Well, actually, uh, I was asking the guy who owned a very big broadhead company, which I shall now name. What is the average broadhead you have actually made to actually see blood? You say, you really? You say, you say, you say, yeah, I actually asked myself this question. I did a research. Less than 0.5%. Yeah, that's insane. No, very simply, ask yourself this question. How many do you have you killed in your entire life? Right. And how many broadheads? And you how many broadheads have you bought? <laughs> Just use yourself as a basic example. You got the number. So I'm not too far off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm an exception because I get to hunt a lot more than the average person. Mm-hmm. So, like, you take the average person, and that number increases greatly. Yeah, but see, for me, after I got swing blade, it's like a whole different story. My death swing blade went through nine years before wow. I replace it. That's pretty impressive. I have to replace the blade. That's it. Yes, another thing. When you go through a season, check your blades because see, you're outside. You think your you think your arrow, your brought it inside the quiver and everything is hunky dory. I got news for you. They aren't. Because see, you're dealing with the screws on your blade, you're dealing with the furrow on your uh, or furrow on two of the the uh, furrow with the broadhead of field point connection. I mean, I I know I solve a lot of problems using the air, the fat technology using the O-rings, but if you don't have those. The normal gaussing would take place when yep. you start ruining. When you have ruining your bro, your, your insert, causing the frontal gaussing, your broadhead is not sitting right. Right. Now you need the APS to clean your fuel, your 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 insert before you even put a broadhead on it. So there's a lot more work. There's reason some people who are have more money than sense. They bought new every year. Yeah. But then that just decreased the success rate because they are not familiar with the equipment. Oh, I buy this, and I mean. Unlike bows, arrows are one of the few things you can usually buy the same thing every year. But just mm-hmm. remember, they are batches. Go tip do a very good job of matching it. I did a reasonably good job matching it, but the rest, you can't. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, Dorge, I hope you mm-hmm. have a very Merry Christmas. This is mm-hmm. going to air on Friday, so the Christmas spirit is going to be bright this weekend. Hope everyone listening has a great Christmas. I hope you get... Yep, Merry uh, Christmas to all. <laughs> I hope you guys get some new Fire Knock products or some new Exodus products underneath the tree. And if you don't, that's all right, because we sell them all year round. So uh, 
have Absolutely. a great have a great week, George. Good luck hunting Wednesday, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye.